This then is our final sermon in our series on friendship. Over the last uh, five weeks, we've covered a lot of ground. We have learned from the wisdom of Proverbs that true friendship is crucial, it's close, it's constant, (coughs) it's candid, and it's careful. I wonder how you have reacted to all that we have been thinking about together. I personally have found it a great challenge. I've been worried about standing up here in front of you all as a giant hypocrite. Because I've explained from scripture what our friendships could be like. And I've become all too aware that often my friendships do not match up. In fact, often I have let my friends down. But at the same time as I've gone through this series preparing it, another uh, feeling has grown. That was a, a deep longing within me. I long to be a good friend to others. And I long to have such friends myself. Maybe you have reacted in a similar way. Maybe that you have decided that you want to do something about your relationships. You want to improve and deepen them as well. The question for both of us then is the same. Where do we start? Well, I have found one place not to start. And that is looking at the self-help guides that you find filling our bookshops and all sorts of blogs and websites that crowd the internet. You know the ones that I mean. They make it all sound so easy. And we can sort all of our relationship difficulties out in an instant. If we do one thing, love ourselves more. Here is an example. It comes out of the 2009 book, Happiness from the Inside Out by Robert Mack. When you make friends with yourself, you begin a love affair that lasts a lifetime. Self-love is the prerequisite for loving others. Now, of course, there is something true in there if you're someone of very low self-esteem and allow people just to walk all over you. But as I read those words, I find them ironic. Because Robert Mack's solution It's the very core of my problem. Because I'm often not a good friend because I'm too selfish. I'm too self-important. I'm too busy, too focused on my work and my career and my own interests to spend time with other people. I wonder if you would discern a similar sort of issue in your life. And actually the Bible is very clear on this. It's our self-centeredness that destroys our relationships. I don't need more of that. I need less. Much less. And the honest truth is that we and our relationships are never going to be fixed by purely looking inwards at ourselves. Yes, there is work to be done and we can learn a lot from self-reflection. But the only solution is to draw strength and love from a source outside of ourselves. The love of God in Christ. Tonight we're going to hear that if we want to improve our relationships, Jesus is the place to start. As Christians, we believe that it is Jesus who can satisfy our deepest longings. It is Jesus who gives us the inspiration to live and relate well. 
It is Jesus who strengthens us so that we can give out and keep giving out to others in times of their need, even when we're getting very little back in return. That's the ultimate solution then to our difficulties with our friendships is not looking in at ourselves. It's about making a deeper friendship with Jesus first that then overflows into all of our other relationships. Spend more time with Jesus in Bible reading and prayer and worship, allowing him to fill our vision and our hearts and our minds is the way to go about bringing lasting change with our relationships with other people. So and as an encouragement to all of us, and myself included to do this, I'm going to use our final sermon to show how Jesus fulfills everything that we've been thinking about over the last five weeks. We have said that true friends are crucial, close, constant, candid and careful. Well, Jesus is crucial. Jesus is close. Jesus is constant. Jesus is candid. Jesus is careful with us. We read in Proverbs, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is the ultimate friend who sticks closer than our closest sibling. I wonder, do we know him? Do we really know him? So first and foremost, Jesus is the friend that is crucial to our lives. The Bible tells us that God is love and he commands us to be like him. That is what the greatest commandment in scripture is all about. Jesus said that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And that the second was to love your neighbour as yourself. Every one of us in this room knows that we have not always kept those commands. Instead of love of God and of others, we have put self-love first. And the results have been disastrous on the personal level, the communal level, even the global level. We have let people down, we've hurt others, particularly those who are closest to us, and we have spoiled our relationship with God. And actually we deserve nothing from God apart from his judgment. In life, we're quick to turn away, aren't we, from those who have hurt us. We give them the silent treatment. Maybe we even try to take revenge. That is how God could have treated us. He would have been well within his rights to distance himself, to keep silent. But actually God's response to our failure and our sin couldn't have been more different to that. God sent Jesus into the world to restore our relationship with him, not cut it off forever. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment that our sins deserve so that we might be forgiven. He experienced separation so that we might be united with God. Our reading from John put it this way. Greater love has no one than this than to lay one down one's life for one's friends. And that love was truly great because when Jesus laid down his life for us, we were not acting as his friends at all. We were living in open rebellion towards him. 
Paul in Romans 5.8 puts it this way. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ <coughs> died for us. You know, if we look deep down, many of our human relationships are insecure because we feel we have to earn the approval. We have to earn the affection of others. And we're never quite sure whether we've done enough to deserve it. But our relationship with God is completely secure because it's not based on what we do or what we can achieve. It's based on what God has already done for us in Jesus. To put it simply then, having a friendship with Jesus is crucial because we need his forgiveness. But there is another reason why friendship with Jesus is crucial and that is this. Only Jesus can fulfil our deepest longings. As human beings, we're made in the image of God. God is love. Therefore, we are made to be loving, relational creatures. We are made to relate to God. And without that relationship with God, we will always experience an emptiness within us. Now, of course, we spend our lives trying to fill that vacuum with all sorts of stuff. Money, pleasure, achievements, even earthly friends. But even if we have loads of money, several holidays a year, degrees coming out of our ears, and great friends, if we don't have Christ, we will still have a hunger in our hearts. In fact, sometimes trying to fill the void in our lives with friends puts too much pressure on them and can actually become damaging. I read a quote by uh, Francis Schaeffer this week who said this. We are finite and therefore we do not expect to find full sufficiency in any human relationship, including marriage. The final sufficiency is to be found only in relationship with God. If a man tries to find everything in a man, woman or a friend, friend relationship, he destroys the very thing he wants and destroys the one he loves. He sucks them dry, eats them up, and they, as well as the relationship, are destroyed. But as Christians, we don't have to do that. Our sufficiency of relationship is that which God made it to be, in the infinite personal God on the basis of the work of Christ in communication and love. And what Schaefer is saying there is not only does Jesus forgive us, but he fulfills us. He meets our deepest longings. After death, he rose again. He is alive by his spirit. He is known today and he can bring joy to us. Real fulfillment, joyful living. 1 Peter 1 puts it like this. Though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. And you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Jesus can fulfil us in a way that no other human friend can. So having a friendship with Jesus is crucial to us. But Jesus is also close to us. At Christmas, Christians celebrate that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. I love the way that the message translation puts it in its version of John 1.14. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. 
And what that verse means is that Jesus came to earth and experienced human life in every way like we do. He grew up in a poor household after a period as a refugee. He mastered a profession, worked as a carpenter, no doubt hitting his thumb many times, learning the hard way on the way. He felt tempted. He wept and mourned at a graveside. He was betrayed by his closest friends. He felt searing pain. He took a dying breath and closed his eyes one final time. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that we can encounter in our lives. No emotion that we can feel that Jesus cannot relate to. That Jesus cannot empathise with because he's already experienced it for himself. So therefore, when we speak to Jesus, whether we're grieving, whether we're ill, whether we're tempted, whether we're angry, whether we're hurt, however we're feeling, when we speak to Jesus, he understands. When we shout, he understands. When we groan, he understands. When we laugh, he understands. When we exclaim out loud, he understands. We can draw near to Jesus. And because he's lived a human life like us, he understands. So Jesus is close to us. As close as can be. He shares our very humanity. So when you're praying, remember that you're praying to a friend who understands. He understands everything that we're going through better than any of our human friends do. So Jesus is crucial to us. He's close to us. He's also utterly constant. Jesus was not just Emmanuel, God with us, when he walked on the earth 2,000 years ago. He promised to go on being Emmanuel. After death and resurrection, he ascended into heaven so he could be with us by his Holy Spirit. So we might be bereaved. We might be divorced. We might be unhappily single. We might be in a difficult marriage. But we will never be alone. We might be facing huge pressures, not know which way to turn. But in the midst of the confusion and the darkness, Christ is there with us. In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said this, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5 adds this, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And what these add up to is this. Earthly friends may leave us for all sorts of reasons. Good reasons and bad reasons. But Christ never will. He will be with us until we see him face to face in glory. And then we'll be with him for eternity evermore. He promises to guide us through life storms until we get there. Jesus is our utterly constant friend. But that does not mean that Jesus would turn a blind eye to all of our faults and our failings. Yes, Jesus promises to forgive us, but he loves us far too much to leave us in the broken state that he finds us in. And that means at times, Jesus will be candid with us. Like a good friend, he will show us where we are wrong and urge us to change for the better. And again, this is something that Jesus does for us in our lives today by his Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit, he speaks to our conscience and empowers us to respond. 
And this process often comes about as we take time to read the Bible, to worship and to pray. While on earth, Jesus had to correct his disciples many times. He had to teach them many lessons. And he still does that for us today. But always for our own benefit. In fact, when Paul was writing later in the Bible to his friend Timothy, he urged him to follow his God-given conscience. Because if you ignore the candid work of the Spirit, you're courting disaster. This is 1 Timothy 1, 18. Timothy, my son, I give you this command so that you might fight the battle well. Hold on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. Some have rejected their conscience and suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. Through the Spirit, Jesus is still candid with us today. We know in here when we're doing what is wrong. We know. We have to listen to Jesus speaking to us through our consciences. He is our trusted friend with our best interests at heart. But finally, in completion to our series, Jesus is also careful He is careful with those he loves. In fact, Jesus couldn't be more gentle. Do you remember the story of the woman caught in adultery in John uh, 8? There was much wrong in this woman's life. But Jesus saved her from the stones of her judgmental accusers. And then in a winsome and a loving way, he wishes her well with the gentle command, I do not condemn you. Go now. And leave your life of sin. I do not condemn you. But go now and leave your life of sin. He's candid there. He tells her there's something wrong. But he does it in the gentlest way you can imagine. And this is how Jesus treats us. We may have lived rotten lives. We may have got so much stuff wrong. But he still loves us. And even as he corrects us and begins to shape us for the better, he does it with great care and attention. In Matthew's Gospel, the prophet Isaiah is quoted to describe what Jesus' ministry to us is like. It says this in Matthew 12. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. Till he has brought justice through victory. And in his name the nations will put their hope. Jesus is so careful he won't break us. Fragile as we are. Instead he works carefully to give us hope so there we have it in this series we have discovered that true friends are crucial close constant candid and careful and now we have found that Jesus fulfills all of that in the way that he treats us Jesus is crucial to our lives Jesus is close closer than a closest friend 
Jesus is constant, there for us in everything. Jesus is candid, he guides us, he speaks to us. He's always careful with us. I want to encourage all of us today to rejoice in the love of Jesus who willingly gave up the majesty of heaven and died on the cross so that we might be his friends. Truly to know Jesus is to have the most precious thing that life affords. In Jesus we see for forgiveness and security as much loved children of God and a hope of being with him forevermore. We will experience difficulties in life. That is guaranteed. We live in a broken world. But we face them with the most faithful friend imaginable. But if we have come out of the last five weeks with the desire to improve our friendships and our relationships with others, this is the place to begin. As we discover the peace and the assurance and the joy of knowing Jesus. As he pours his love into our lives, we will overflow and be able to love our friends and our family better. As we experience more of Jesus reaching to us, we will be able to reach out to others. Not just to take from them, but to give sacrificially just as Jesus has given to us. If you want better friendships, if you want better relationships, first of all, deepen your friendship with Jesus. Allow the Spirit to work in your life and fill you again. He is the perfect friend and he enables us to be true friends ourselves.